I'm pretty excited, actually, to talk about the Ascension today. Um, but before we do that, I admittedly, normally, before getting up here, before even the service starts, I take time to pray, sometimes with the worship team and, and sometimes not. But today, I think with the kids practicing, that didn't happen. So I'd really appreciate if we could all pray over the word and for the outpouring of the Spirit in this service. Gracious God, thank you for bringing us all together. Thank you for the word that you have prepared already for this place. God, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would move in us, that you would show us what it is that you, um, you would have for us today, Lord. God, speak through me. God, speak through this service. And nudge us exactly where we need to be nudged, God. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start with Luke 24 today. And as I said, we're talking about the Ascension. And to be honest, there's not a whole lot of scripture on the Ascension. There's, well, not in the Gospels, certainly. And so Luke is kind of, Luke is kind of it. Um, except for Mark, which has only one verse. So Luke 24, verses 44 through 53 is where we're at today. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but... Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left and was taken up to heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and stayed continually at the temple praising God. I'm going to start with a question. By show of hands, how many of you on Thursday night celebrated Ascension Day? Yeah, I didn't either, actually. I know you're shocked. Um, I've never celebrated Ascension Day. I, you know, I don't think I recall even hearing a sermon on Ascension, which is strange to me, and yet as I as I was preparing for this, I was talking to a few other people, and it was kind of the same story. Um, and that's kind of a, a bummer to me, I think. I know that we spend a lot of time, obviously, celebrating uh, the resurrection of Jesus. That's very important. And we certainly recognize the death of Jesus. Churches all over the place have um, services on Good Friday. So I think that somewhere between all of the celebrations of 
the services of death of, of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus, and then in a few days of Pentecost, um, maybe ascension just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And so as I was talking to one of my friends particularly, she was feeling like maybe ascension was a very Catholic-type service, and this didn't sit well with her. And so I was looking it up, and sure enough, far more Catholic churches have ascension services than Protestant. And so it's almost become kind of this Catholic-type thing. And sometimes in the Protestant churches, Catholic things seem like not very good things. Um, and that shouldn't apply here. So my friend put it into these words that it's one more celebration that you feel like you have to go to in the Catholic Church. It's one more service, and it's more, um, just more legalistic liturgy. And that kind of made me sad, and yet what she was saying struck true, that I, I guess if I hadn't been searching through these scriptures on the Ascension, I guess maybe I would, I would view it similarly. Um, and that's such, a, that's such a heartbreak, because now as I'm studying through these Ascension scriptures, it's very exciting. And beyond exciting, it's very, very necessary. And I think that the question, especially in Protestant churches, becomes why is it necessary to celebrate the ascension of Christ when we've already celebrated the death and the resurrection and we're going to celebrate the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost? Why is one more special day in all of this necessary? And I'm going to make a claim that Maybe this is one of the most necessary celebrations. We'll get to that a little later. Um, but first, we'll revisit some, I suppose, some, some history. Um, the Gnostics and the heretics. Ascension is not their friend. So, Ascension is important to us, first and foremost, because it sets all these heresies straight. Now, what is Gnosticism? Uh, it's the belief that what is human and what is material and what is earthly is strictly bad, and what is spiritual is strictly good, and only what is spiritual is good. Gnosticism was a really big thing back in the early church. And so I'm kind of marrying these themes of ascension and Gnosticism and even legalism of the Catholic Church together right now. But when you think about what a big deal heresy was in the society surrounding the early church, you get to realize why there is so much legalism to begin with. So the early church had to respond, right? There, there are all these heretics going around saying whatever they will about Jesus, and some of them are saying, well, because 
what is spiritual is what is good, and what is earthly is completely bad. If Jesus was good, then he had to have been completely spiritual, and that means he couldn't have been human. The early church doesn't like this. And then we have other heretics who are saying, obviously he's human. In fact, he's so human that his divinity is questionable. And that's a big problem, too. So we get the Catholic Church, who has all kinds of brilliant minds come together and search through scripture and pray together and um, pour out their brilliance together. And they work and they work and they work and they come up with some creeds. Lately, we've been using them in our worship. We've been using the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed as calls to worship lately, and we'll continue doing that. Today, we use the Apostles' Creed. Um, And those are very specifically worded documents and very specifically worded confessions. They're worded exactly precisely because these people worked so hard to put words to really complicated things like the Trinity and like the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. And maybe sometimes it feels like those are just playing with words or technicalities, and yet it's not. The theology of the Trinity and the theology of the humanity and divinity of Christ is of the utmost importance. So you have these people who are working and working and working to put a stop to wrong theology that's coming and and being spread all around by the heretics. And it's important because if the Trinity doesn't exist exactly as it exists in Scripture, and if the divinity of Christ doesn't exist exactly as it exists in Scripture, and if the humanity of Christ doesn't exist exactly as it exists in Scripture, then suddenly our salvation is meaningless. And there's, there's no point to any of it. So it is of utmost importance that these heresies are put to a stop, and it's of utmost importance that our confessions of faith are worded as they are worded. They put a lot of work into that. So, maybe there feels like some legalism in celebrations like Ascension, and maybe there feels like some legalism when we make these declarations of faith by reading through the Apostles' Creed or reading through the Nicene Creed. And yet, as we're confessing these things, we are confessing everything that we believe of God. We are confessing the very foundations of our faith. And that's a big deal. So our job today is to say, yeah, maybe we should think about celebrating the ascension at some point, something we've maybe never thought about before. Wouldn't it be nice to at least on ascension day recognize it and say, hey, this is important. So our job is to see why ascension is important. 
Because when we look through the scriptures, suddenly we see, oh, all of these ascension scriptures are of utmost importance to our theology, and they define Christ as fully divine and fully human, and they also define Christ's role within the Godhead. So, first things first. Why is the ascension important? Because it displays both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. And it weaves them together in this intricate, intimate pattern. Jesus is born. We see that a lot in the Gospels. I hope you know of that story. Um, Jesus is baptized. That's a big deal. Jesus is tempted. Jesus begins his ministry. Jesus dies a very painful, suffering death. All of these things um, portray Jesus' humanity. I think we can all agree to that, can we? All of these things portray Jesus' humanity. And certainly, you can look at the scriptures and dig in and see examples and glimpses of Jesus' divinity. But all of these things are very human things. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Is that human or is that divine? Does anyone have an answer? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And here's where I feel like the heretics are trying really, really hard. Because you can look at the resurrection and a lot of us can say, well, that has to be divine. It has to be. Because a human, you can't just resurrect yourself from the dead. And yet, prior to this in scripture, we do see re- resurrections, right? We, we see Jesus resurrecting the daughter of Jairus. Um, we see him resurrecting Lazarus. Um, there are plenty of examples. Paul preaches too long, and a boy falls out of the window and dies. And he resurrects the boy with the power of God. Um, It's not an unusual thing, resurrection from the dead. Humans get resurrected. So Jesus is born, he's baptized, he's tempted, he begins his ministry, he suffers and dies. All of those are very human things. And if you're a hardcore heretic, you can say, Jesus' resurrection, that's human still. Okay? Here's what those humans who were resurrected did not do. They did not get taken up to heaven. After Lazarus, after Lazarus was raised from the dead, eventually he returned to death. After Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, Eventually, she had to die, and so on and so forth. But Jesus was raised from the dead, and then in front of his disciples, 
he's raised again bodily. That is something that hasn't happened before, and that is divine. So, now we see Jesus as the best of both worlds. Jesus is human, fully. He's gone through all these human things, and he is divine, fully. And not understanding that is a salvation issue. Sorry, I lost my spot. At any case, the entire, the entire theology of Jesus' humanity and divinity is hard to word. And it's hard to get it just right. And it's hard to say this is the exact definition of the Trinity and this is the exact definition of what it means for Jesus to be fully human and fully divine. And there exists today, maybe we don't call them heretics and maybe we don't excommunicate people, but there exists plenty of people today who are skeptical and who will say, I can poke a dozen holes in your theology and I'm waiting to even. People are more prone to be skeptical than they are to believe. And so it's important for us to grasp onto these things and to dig deeper and to learn more. It would be really easy for us to say, well, thanks to all these incredible theologians of the past, and thanks to those who wrote the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, and thanks to Paul, and thanks to all these people, we don't have to sit and figure out the ins and outs and um, dot the I's and cross the T's of our theology. We can just say, Christ died for me. He is my Lord, and I am forgiven, and I will have eternal life. That would feel so good to say. But we can't end it there because we've been called to spread the gospel. And we've been called to love people. And to love people means that we want to share this good news with them, no matter how skeptical. So you find someone deeply skeptical, and you go and you preach this good news to them. And then they say, your theology doesn't line up. Then what? We may not be a whole bunch of heretics here, but sit with me and let's learn why the ascension is so crucial to our theology. First, we have Christ's work as the great high priest and the mediator. We see this in Hebrews 9. Now, I think you've all heard of the Day of Atonement. It takes place only once a year. And this was the only day of the year when anybody at all was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. The high priest had that job. And this was a very, very important job. And it was a very, very precise set of stipulations and ceremonies and rituals that allowed him to be able to do that. So this one day of the year, 
this one person was allowed to enter into the holiest place in the tabernacle, the place where God's presence dwelled. God's presence dwelled there. The high priest would make a sacrifice for atonement of the sin. He would sacrifice an animal. And after this sacrifice, after this sacrifice, he would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. He brought the sacrifice to the presence of the Lord. That's important. And then God accepted these sacrifices and the people were atoned for, but that only happened after the blood was sprinkled on that mercy seat in the presence of the Lord. So now listen to Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. When Christ came as high priest for the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect, perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats or calves, but he entered by the most holy place, once for all, by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Everything that the high priest had to do every year in the tabernacle, Jesus has now done in the more perfect heavenly tabernacle. Let's think about that. The high priest had to do this every year. Every year a sacrifice had to be made because goats and animals, they're not perfect. But Jesus, who took on our human condition, who was perfect because he was fully human and he was fully divine, Jesus was able to make that one last sacrifice. And it was completed not at the death and the resurrection, but fully completed when Jesus ascended into heaven. All three of those things are vastly important for our faith. Because at death, he took on our sin. He descended into Hades defeated death, he was resurrected bodily, and then he took the atonement into the presence of God, and that is where this was accepted. This is all very important. It all makes it more beautiful. If you think about it, how perfectly this plan worked out from the very beginning. Beyond the work of salvation, ascension is necessary for Jesus to continue on in his other work. So in Acts 1, 1 and 2, we read, In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. It's really subtle, but it's really important. This is the work that Jesus began to do before the ascension. 
If his work has only just begun at the point of his ascension, then it stands to reason that his work will continue. And it does. So the ascension is Jesus' return to his father, and that's important to his work because it was his father who originally sent it him. And Jesus makes it a point on more than one occasion in the Gospels to declare that he was sent by his father and to his father he must return. That's in John 16, 28, among other places. I came from the father and have come into this world and now I'm leaving this world and going to the father. And later, Jesus told Mary, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. There's something very big that has to happen at his return to the Father. The work of salvation done, he still needs to return, and then something big is still going to happen. So we see God the Father is the sender, and he sent Jesus for a purpose here on earth, and that's accomplished. On earth, Jesus glorifies the Father, as seen in John 17, 4 and 5. And then at Jesus' ascension, the Father glorifies the Son in heaven. The Father glorifies the Son in heaven. So the Father gives the Son divine dominion over all of the universe and the church. As a member of the triune Godhead, Jesus has always been God, and he always will be God. But when he took on humanity, Philippians 2 shows us that he made himself humble. He had to take on the role of servant. He had to push to the side the role of the divine. And he made himself fully human. And by doing so, he humbled himself entirely. At the ascension, though, suddenly he's returned to glory. And the Father gives him this divine authority over everything. He gives him the divine authority over that which has been cast aside, the authority to govern the universe and to be the head of the church. At the ascension, the Father seated Christ at his right side in the heavenly places. All of this is important because now Jesus has authority of God. On earth, Jesus has authority as a teacher, and he can teach his disciples, and he can teach by word of mouth, and he can teach when he is in his place at this time, But if he is here at Foothill Covenant Church teaching, then at the same exact time, he cannot be on the other side of the planet teaching. He has authority on earth, but when he is ascended to heaven, he's restored to the authority and the glory of God, and now his mission is worldwide. Jesus knew this ahead of time. There's, there's something else in his authority, and that is the sending of the Holy Spirit to empower us in this same mission. And Jesus knew this ahead of time, 
He told his disciples in John 16, 7, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And we saw it today in our passage in verse 49. I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. And then Jesus ascended into heaven, was given this authority, and he sent the Holy Spirit. God sent by God to the people. And now the people are empowered by this very same, this very same Holy Spirit sent by Christ. The ascension is very vastly important. It is because of the ascension that Jesus is returned to glory and has this power to send on the Holy Spirit to the people. And it's still only the beginning. That's our present day, kind of where we're at right now, right? We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've been gifted. We are participating now with Christ in his mission. There's more. And this is what the Ascension gets to tell us about the future. It says something about the resurrection of the believers. Jesus ascended to heaven in his resurrected body. He did not travel there as this random spirit. His body was not left on the ground. So anyone who has something to say about the evilness of the human flesh, like the Gnostics, cannot deny now that the human body was created by God and is accepted into heaven. Jesus ascended into heaven in his bodily form. There's also a belief that Jesus was entirely spiritual and had no worldly matter. And that's the same Gnostic strain of beliefs that 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 which is spiritual is good and that which is flesh is bad and if Jesus was good then he was only spiritual but Jesus took on that flesh and he went up to heaven in that same flesh that says that Jesus yes Jesus is fully human and so that speaks back to that both worlds thing that both human and both divine um, situation. Here's the great, great part of this. We're taught about a bodily resurrection, and from this we know that Jesus still lived. We know that because he disappeared and was taken up, he's alive still. So we do not serve a God who died 2,000 years ago. We serve a God who is alive and well and living and working within us and working and empowering us to this kingdom mission. God is alive still. We serve him because he is good and because through his sacrifice, we will be participants in his mission. We will be participants in his kingdom. 
we will be resurrected as he was resurrected. So all of this work is important for our future. All of this work gives us hope and a promise. And it's an example of what is to come. And with all of those promises, there always comes a charge. We have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope of the living, triune, fully human, fully divine God who did amazing things, humbled himself, took on flesh, suffered on the cross to become the final sacrifice in atonement for our sins. We have this hope. And this is really great news, but there becomes a charge there comes a charge with that, and that is that with the Holy Spirit we're expected to go out. We are expected to preach in love. We are expected to reach out to the lost. We are expected to engage with those who would be skeptical and try to poke those holes in our theology. So this ascension theology is important. Know it, all theology, know it so that you you can engage with the skeptics. We are expected to go out and meet the skeptics and meet the hurt and meet the broken and say, this is the good news. We are his witnesses and we are called to give people hope for the eternity for eternity by being his presence in this world and we're allowed to have hope because of his presence in this world let's pray dear god thank you for every bit of your work of salvation thank you for writing this story before the world began Thank you for all that was fulfilled in prophecies and the perfection of the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. Thank you for your atonement and for the hope of of resurrection that we can live into. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.